Good evening. Welcome to the Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Study Group's Thursday Night Alcoholics and God Speaker Step Series. Uh, we're going to have James come up for a joke. Good night. Hey, James. Uh, we're using the book that um, Tom gave us. Yay! <laughs> so hopefully it's a good one. Um, two drunks were coming home, stumbling up a country road in the dark. Drunk one said, holy cow, Mike, we've stumbled into a graveyard. Here's the plaque of a man who lived to age 103. Drunk number two said, wow, 103? Was it anybody we knew? Drunk number one said, no, it was someone named Miles to Denver. Uh, you didn't know that guy, did you? Thank you. All right, so that one was Tom's fault. Um, I'm a recovered alcoholic. My name is Ryan. Uh, thanks for joining us tonight. In a minute, we're going to start our two-minute meditation, so please take a moment to get situated. Uh, please turn off all devices that make noise or that will distract others. Take this time to get connected to God. Let the craziness of the day drift away and ask God to help you stay focused on the study tonight. Uh, if everybody's ready, we're going to start the meditation.
All right, uh, we're gonna do the fog light prayer. If you don't know it, you can just follow along up here. Uh, God, let your love shine through me like a fog light so those who are lost, sick, and dying can find your love through me, amen. There is a solution from the big book, page 17. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out on which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news that this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. I've asked Brandon to read Appendix 2, Spiritual Experience. We read this because the main purpose of the 12 steps is to have one, so it's kind of important to know what one is. So, Brandon, come on up. Hello, I'm Brandon, an alcoholic. The terms spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book, which upon careful reading shows that the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in many different forms. Yet it is true that our first printing gave many readers the impression that these personality changes or religious experiences must be in the nature of sudden and spectacular upheavals. Happily for everyone, this conclusion is erroneous. In the first few chapters, a number of sudden revolutionary changes are described. Though it was not our intention to create such an impression, many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God consciousness, followed at once by a vast change in feeling and outlook. Among our rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations, though frequent, are by no means the rule. Most of our experiences are what the psychologist William James calls the educational variety because they develop solely over a period of time. Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of the difference long before he is himself. He finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life, that such a change could hardly have been brought about by himself alone. What often takes place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. With few exceptions, our members find that they have tapped an unsuspected inner resource which they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. Most of us think this awareness of a power greater than ourselves is the essence of spiritual experience. Our more religious members call it God consciousness. Most, emphat most emphatically, we wish to say that any alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problems in the light of our experience can recover, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. We find that no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery, but these are indispensable. There is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to investigation. Thank you. Refrain from disturbing others by talking or constantly getting up and sitting back down. This is a tech-free meeting, so set your phones to airplane or meeting mode or just turn them off. Uh, tonight we have Tom coming up for seven, right? Seven sessions tonight. Uh, it's been awesome so far, so I'm looking forward to what he has to say tonight. So I'm going to bring up Tom.
nice. That's nice with no light in my face. I like that. <clears throat> my name's Tom. I'm an alcoholic. So, uh, what, you didn't like that joke? I thought that was a funny joke. I read that joke myself, you know. Denver Miles. He lived to be 103. So, uh, Carl Jung, we know who Carl Jung was, the great psychiatrist, said, show me a sane man and I'll cure him for you. Because we're all crazy. You know. I don't know what this problem is with the human race, but it seems to be kind of psychopathic. You know, Eckhart Tolle says that uh, the whole human race is insane. About 98% of our thinking is just useless. Useless thinking. That all we do, you know, uh, is just keep playing the same loop over and over and over and over again. All we do is think about the past and think about tomorrow. And there's one thing that's in that past and in that tomorrow, and that's me. I'm in the past, and I'm in tomorrow. Because anytime I'm thinking about the past or the future, I'm the subject of the thought. So I guess about 98% of the time, I'm thinking about me. I wake up in the morning, and a man named Bob Anderson, I heard him say this. He was a great guy. He died with 45 years. Uh, he got sober when I was born in 1952 and uh, started a, a group in Beverly Hills called Primetime. <clears throat> Wrote a book called The Mind-Powered Disease. And that's what I have, is I have a mind-powered disease. And I, I don't know, uh, I go to myself as the authority for my life. I mean, it's just automatic, and you would think, oh, here we go. Thanks a lot. I got a cure for that. You would, you would think that, uh, uh, that I wouldn't be uh, thinking that way, you know, that, that I would be thinking about other things besides myself, you know. Uh, I find it... Uh, very hard to believe uh, I, I mentioned that once I think not too long ago that I, that all I think about is me I wake up in the morning thinking about me I go to bed at night thinking about me you know, and the only time I think about you is how it relates to me and uh, somebody in the meeting I guess they disagreed with that and they, you know that's that's okay everybody has their own experience strength and hope but he said oh and I I, I think about other people, you know. Yeah, I do too. I think about what they can do for me. And not so much about what I can do for them. We get in this seventh step, and uh, I just want to see if I got the things marked right. I don't know. I always screw up, it seems like. 
Anyway, it says, when, when ready, this is on page uh, 76 of the big book. You know, we got the two paragraphs in there. That's great help, but, you know. When ready, we say something like this. My creator, I am now willing that you should have all of me, good and bad. I pray that you now remove from me every single defect of character which stands in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows. Grant me strength as I go out from here to do your bidding. Amen. We have then completed step seven. Boy, it's just that easy, huh? Nothing to it, right? Just say the prayer and all of a sudden, I guess God is magically going to remove all my defects of character, you know. Then I don't know why after 38 years in Alcoholics Anonymous, I still have these defects of character. Where, how come I still have them if, if I said that prayer 38 years ago? Why am I still full of shortcomings and defects? You know, and then Bill, maybe Bill thought about that from 1939 to 1952 when he wrote the 12 and 12. And he, he got a little bit more into the seventh step. And he, he tells us over and over again that we got to have some degree of humility. No alcoholic can stay sober at all with some, without some degree of humility. Okay. He talks a lot about humility. And about how for thousands of years we have been demanding more than our share of security, prestige, and romance. So I guess he's talking about everybody. Not just alcoholics. But people in general. That we have these natural desires. And it's a crippling handicap has been the lack of our humility. We lack the perspective to see that character building and spiritual values had to come first. And that material satisfactions are not the purpose of leaven. True, most of us thought good character was desirable. I like the, I like the, the one part that says, yeah, you know, uh, good character is desirable, you know. And uh, chief... Oh yeah, uh, character. Oh yeah, escape. Uh, character building through suffering might be all right for saints, but it certainly didn't appeal to us. No, I mean you know I didn't want to suffer. I already suffered enough. You know I quit drinking. Why should I suffer more? What do I? What do you mean I have to suffer? I don't. I don't want to suffer. I'm done with suffering. You know, I thought, you know, like it says here, you know, uh, I, you know, I, I admit I was powerless over alcohol. Well, thank God that's over. Okay, like, hey, I'm, I don't have any desire to drink anymore, so I guess it's over, right? I mean, I guess if this was just about drinking and not changing my character, I wouldn't be here. Because, you see, 38 years ago, when the obsession for me to drink was removed, what need would I have of Alcoholics Anonymous anymore? I wouldn't have any need of Alcoholics Anonymous if this was just about drinking. 
The obsession for me to drink has been removed. Why do I need to do anything else? Or maybe it's like uh, my sponsor, you know, I said to him, because, you know, they told me, they said, uh, listen, uh, now, don't get in any relationships, okay? You need to stay away from relationships for at least a year, all right? So after about nine months, uh, I said to my sponsor, well, uh, it's been almost a year. I heard, you know, in the meetings I'm not supposed to uh, be getting in any relationships. And my sponsor told me, he said, well, uh, how are you supposed to learn how to have a relationship if you don't have one? He said, now, I'll tell you what, he says, if you do get in a relationship, maybe you'll learn something about your defects of character and your shortcomings. So if you want to learn about your shortcomings and defects of character, jump into a relationship. You'll learn real quick. You know, I mean, why is it that that I always, uh, that there's this thing about me that I always have the tendency to point my finger at other people. You know, why is it that all my life I believed that my problem was your fault? I mean, it couldn't have been my fault, right? There had to be something wrong with all of you that caused me to feel the way that I felt about me. Or as another man who tried to help me once say, you know what, Tom, you don't stand much of a chance of changing until you get rid of your victim story. Your victim story's got to go. Because, you know, I love that victim story. That victim story is is a, it's a wonderful thing to have a victim story. It makes you feel so good, you know. It's, it's like, it's warm, you know, it's very warm and, and comforting, you know, to, to realize that the reason that I have the feelings I have is all somebody's fault. It's all somebody else's fault. It can't be mine. How can I be responsible for this? And it seems like it started... A long time ago, you know, a very long time ago, when I do my four-step, and when I do my four-step with the guys I sponsor, we always start out with as far back as we can remember. We ask God to help us open our minds and take us back, you know, to the first feeling that we had that felt good and the first feeling that we had that we felt bad about and the first feeling that I could remember was around four years old and playing in the mud in the backyard with my brother I had a backyard that was all mud I guess the front yard was all mud too you know we we didn't like my old Irish grandma used to say, there's only two kind of Irish, lace curtain and shanty, and we ain't lace curtain. 
well, just because you're poor, that doesn't mean you got to be dirty. Now get in there and wash up. So we had to wash up a lot because we played in the mud yard. And But that was a good feeling to be with my brother, you know, in that muddy yard and laughing and carrying on and splashing around in the mud. And then, and he was just a year younger than me, see, and then the first feeling that I had of feeling bad was when my baby sister was born and they brought her home. And you, and you wonder why I'm such a jealous person, you know. Where'd this jealousy come from? That I, I wasn't number one no more. Right? I had that abandonment feeling. A lot of these, they're already set in us. These feelings are set in us, you know, at the age of four and five. And they tend just to grow. And they cause me to have a feeling all my whole life of being restless, irritable, and discontent. And never being able to put my finger on on why I didn't feel right. And why things uh, never seemed to be okay. And I didn't seem to belong. And, you know... uh, I can remember as a kid in kindergarten, you know, and in the first grade, you know, standing around on the playground and not having any friends and uh, and being a loner and 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 not being able to play well with other children because I had a very bad temper. I was very angry. All my life, I was a very angry person. And this alcoholism is a sickness that seems that these these defects that I have, they've just grown over the years. In my alcoholism, they just became stronger and stronger and stronger and more intense until, you know, the alcoholism is destroying me because I can't stand... The emotions, I can't stand the feelings. And the only thing that I found that worked, you know, was at 13 when I found a bottle of wine and sucked it down. And it took all those feelings away. And I needed, I needed to use that substance as the solution for what went on inside of me in my feelings and in my thinking and put me away from that take me away from that give me my comfort remove uh, all those bad feelings that I had but what happens you know the, the alcohol and the alcoholism just it, it kicks my butt And it starts to destroy me and destroy everything around me and destroy all my relationships with with other people. And it it puts me 
on the outside. It makes everything worse. And it makes me more crazy. And I truly do become very insane. You know, until I get to to a place at, at 31 when I finally surrender and have to go, and I can't even stop drinking anymore, and I have to go to the VA and put on Anna abuse to keep me from drinking. And, and I find out in there, you know, just how nuts I really am. So I never, I never looked at it that way before. I never looked at it as if I had a problem with my thinking. I thought I just had a problem with a substance, with alcohol and with drugs. And that if I stopped that, and that's what I did for years around AA, and that was good enough for me. You know, I didn't need to do uh, all this other stuff that you guys needed to do because I was different than you. And all I needed to do was just not drink. And I was okay. But I wasn't okay. What I was was insane. I was insane because, like Bob Anderson writes in his book, I went to myself as the authority for my life. I have a mind-powered disease. It centers in my mind. And it's a talking disease. And it talks to me. It talks to me, and I listen to it. I listen to it, and it gives me what I think are my values. You know, and what are my values? Being full of of justifiable anger. I go into uh, uh, the the fifth chapter club on Dixie Highway years and years ago before I ever got sober in the 10 years that I was just around AA and not in AA. And walk in there and and, in a midnight meeting and I hear a man sharing and he says, today I can't afford to feel justifiable anger. And I think to myself, What is he, a sissy or something? What's he mean he can't afford to feel justifiable anger? What's the book mean when it says that uh, this anger is for for people who who can better handle it because we can't? I'm not good at handling anger. Something happens to me when, when, when I get angry. And when I get angry, you know, it's, it's like... It's like an insanity. And that insanity can grow. I mean, I can actually, I can go from zero to 60. And, and, and where do I go? I go from, from uh, not liking what you said to uh, committing murder. In my mind. When I first got sober, I used to, you know, murder people in my mind. And then I got a little better and I just started beating the crap out of people in my mind. Okay? So where is it that we, that we learn to change this stuff? Right? Is it, in, is it in here? I mean, do I have to suffer? I never wanted Alcoholics Anonymous to be about changing my character. 
That's not what I wanted Alcoholics Anonymous to be about. I just wanted it to be about not drinking. I didn't want it to be about character building through suffering might be all right for saints, but it certainly didn't appeal to me. I don't want to be a saint. I mean, come on, what do you expect out of me? You know, and I had a I had a hard nosed sponsor. Real hard nosed sponsor, you know, had me doing all kinds of stuff. And I said I said to him, I said, you know what? I said, you expect an awful lot out of me. And he said, Tom, all I expect out of you is for you to change your whole character. Because your whole character needs changing. And 38 years later, I'm still working on that. And I'll be working on it till the day I die. Because I'm human. I'm a human being. I used to know an old man named Frank Hunt. I always used to say, my name is Frank. I'm an alcoholic and a human being. I have to cut myself a little bit of a break. I'm not perfect. I'm never going to be perfect. But that doesn't mean that my goals don't have to be perfect goals. Okay? What it means is that this job is not over. And this job of building my character is never going to be over until they put me in the grave. Then it will be over. And so this seventh step asked me to, to know something about humility. Well, what is humility? Well, I was taught that humility is nothing but the truth. It's the truth. The truth about me. Me accepting it, me expressing it, me and understanding the truth about me. I guess that's why I have to take inventory. Is so I can, you know, figure out these things about me, see these things on paper, and share them with another human being. That starts to bring me towards humility because the truth is, like you probably have heard in meetings before, We're only as sick as our secrets. And I'm real good about keeping secrets. Because I'm real good at at surviving. I started, when I started to feel this way as a child, to build a false self. I built a character. I built him from the ground up. I created this this uh, image, you know, that was no, it was no real me. By the time I got sober, I didn't even know who the real me was. Who was I? I was some joker that I created. And, and it was created because I learned, like I learned in my fourth step, why it's so... Why these steps are in are in order and why it's so important that they're in order. You know, I, I needed the steps that came before the fourth step. I needed that rock solid foundation. I needed to be able to make a decision and turn my life and my will over to the care of God. 
so I could survive what was coming afterwards, the truth about me. I told my sponsor, I says, you know, I'm going to tell you how sick I was when I first when I first got here, right? Deniso, who was a wonderful man, helped me so much. He looked me in the eye and he said, he, we were in discussions. And I said to him, uh, talking to him about, he said, he said I had to stop uh, doing the things that I did. And I, th- I didn't think that I was doing the things he said I was doing. He looked me in the eye, he said, Tommy, he said, I was a liar, a cheat, and a thief, and I never met another alcoholic who wasn't. And the first thought that went through my mind was, is he talking about me? Well, he can't be talking about me. I'm not a liar, a cheat, and a thief. See, the thought that went through my mind was, I'm just a nice guy who's been messed over. See? And, 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 you know, and I have the right to, I have the right to feel the way that I feel. Because I've been messed over. Resentment. Resentment towards God justified me in feeling that it was all right to lie. It was all right to cheat. It was all right to steal. You know, I'm 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 sober and I'm still I'm still stealing. I'm still taken because I'm telling myself, well, I don't have money, so, you know, I have to eat. Dennis says, well, that's not justification for, for stealing. You can't justify that. You can't justify that it's okay to steal. Because you think you have to eat. Maybe if you stop stealing and make a decision to turn your life and your will over to the care of God like you need to do, money will come your way. And you know what? It did. You see, that's the way my mind works, you know. It works in a twisted way. I like the book said, glass in hand, I warp my mind. I have warped thinking. It was all wrapped up in, in, in justification. You know, if you if you looked at me funny, you know, I thought, well, what's, you know, why are you looking at me that way? Well, you, you don't like the way I look? You know, maybe if I smack you upside the head, you know, you won't look at me like that the next time. You know, my anger was a terrible thing. I hurt a lot of people in my alcoholism because of that. Because I was a maniac. What, what turned me into this maniac? What turned me into it was what I learned from my four steps. Self-condemnation my whole life. Condemning myself that I was no good. Where did I get that idea? I don't know where I got that idea. But inside of me, I had this idea that I was no good. But I didn't want to think that way, that I was no good. 
And I damn sure didn't want you to think that. So I built this false self. This tough guy image. And I built a wall around me four foot thick. And I spent my whole life patching every crack in that wall. So that you couldn't see inside. And see how I really felt about me. Even I didn't want to see how I really felt about me. I wanted to believe the lie, the lie that I created about me. And I says to my sponsor, I said, you know, I started to realize how much I lied. That I had told uh, so many stories for so many years about myself that I actually believed they were the truth in creating this false self. So it was all about the creation of this false self. It was because it was constantly, it was based completely on lies. It wasn't the truth. I wasn't a tough guy. I was what this man Dennis told me I was, a snot-nosed punk. That's who I really was. A snot-nosed punk. He said, anybody can be a snot-nosed punk. Anybody can talk dirty. Anybody can act like they're a tough guy. He says, you think you're a tough guy? I says, well, I can handle myself. He says, well, I'll tell you who a tough guy was. Jesus Christ was a tough guy. He took everything they threw at him, and he loved them anyway. Are you tough enough to do that? He shamed me into seeing the truth about me. Not because he, he wanted to put me down, because he wanted to pull me up out of the pit that I lived in my whole life, out of love. A tough love. I would go to him with, with, with thoughts in me that, of people that I wanted to murder. And by the time I'd leave him, we'd be on our knees and I'd be in tears praying for him. Because he shamed me into seeing what a jerk I was. How selfish and self-centered I was. Because it was all about me. Everything's always all about me. You think it goes away? It doesn't go away. Believe me, I work hard at this program. But I still have alcoholism. I don't have alcoholism. I was talking to a man recently because the same situation had happened to me, you know. <laughs> That's what I say about a relationship. I've been in one for 33 years. And my little inventory taker, it's a couple of these guys know my wife. They know she, she's in the program too, okay? And she'll take your inventory quick. She likes nothing better than to, to put you in your place. She says, you know, you, you, you always make sure you, you're taken care of. 
I say, yeah, but I take care of everybody. Yeah, but you make sure you're taken care of first. You know what? She's right. She's right about that. I never saw that before because what was I always doing all these years between her and the children? And I took care of everybody. Right? I pay all the bills. You know, I make the money. I'm the one taking care of everything. So why shouldn't I take care of myself? Why shouldn't I have what I want? Right? See the justification? Man, it's easy. It comes to you so easy. You think it makes a difference, you know, uh, how long somebody's been sober? Nah, it don't make no difference. It don't make no difference at all. Because like this, like the big book talks about, when I, I get back, we start to get into, you know, I say, well, when are you going to, you know, how are you going to get this way? How are you going to get rid of this stuff, right? Well, there's five more steps, okay, after this, all right? It doesn't happen at the seventh step. That's why when we get to the 12th step, we'll talk about having a spiritual awakening, okay? How we practice these principles and all, because the 12th step is a three-part step. How we practice all these steps, practice these principles, in all our affairs and we carry this message to other alcoholics because this is when the, the work's going to get started now you think it's over it's not over after saying that prayer it's just getting started because this is a lifetime process of character building and i have to keep at it all the time because it's so easy for me to slip back into my old character that character, I'm asking God every day to help me with this. And been asking him every day all these years. By taking that 10th step inventory. And we get in 11th and we're asking, you know, for the knowledge of God's will for us. On page 87, into action, it gets down here and says... If not members of religious bodies, we sometimes select and memorize a few set prayers which emphasize the principles we have been discussing. There are many helpful books also. Suggestions about these may be obtained from one's priest, minister, or rabbi. Be quick to see where religious people are right. Make use of what they offer. So I was happy, I don't... A lady came up to me, was in this meeting, and she thanked me for talking about conference-approved literature. Because, you know, the Bible isn't conference-approved literature. There's no such thing as AA-approved literature. All it is is conference-approved by a committee of general service that it's approved for general service to print. But the big book tells me. So I guess that's approved for me to go read other books. To search for spiritual knowledge wherever I can find it. A man in our meeting the other night talked, we were talking about, we do the 24 hour a day book. One week and have a discussion on that. And this guy spoke up and he said, I took that to my sponsor. I had a new 24-hour day book. You know, he's got 49 years. And he took the book and he threw it across the room. 
And he says, dummy, that's not AA approved. That's Hazelden. Now you know why I stand up here and say you could have 40, 50 years and not have what I want, okay? Because I'll tell you something about rigidity. My mother had a 55 Ford she paid 35 bucks for. And it was in the backyard, and I grew up in Tornado Alley. And there was a huge oak tree back there. And the wind came and snapped that oak tree, and it crushed that 55 Ford. Crushed it right down, the, the whole roof, right down into the cab. But you know the willow trees in the yard? They didn't snap. You can get a little bit carried away with this whole rigidity thing. I knew a man, the man who introduced me to Bob Anderson, was extremely rigid in his beliefs. Had 21 years, he got drunk. He got drunk. No, you won't find me that way. You find me, I, I, I'm reading all kinds of things, okay? Because they helped to expand my spiritual horizon. They helped me to change my character. That's what they helped me to do. Because I need all the help that I can get when it comes to changing my character. Because this alcoholism is so powerful in my life that it will drag me right back down into the pit again. And I spent enough time in that pit. My God loves me. I got rid of that punishing God. There's no punishment from my God. There's no him turning his back on me. Because I've, I've done something that I'm ashamed of. I'm ashamed of it for a reason. Thank God today, I don't think anymore like, was he talking about me? That can't be me, who's a liar, a cheat, and a thief. I'm just a nice guy who's been messed over. There's no excuses. It's not an excuse that I'm a human being. It's a fact. I'm a human being. Who do I think I am? You know, it's like, it's like I wouldn't tell my sponsor I was going to take stuff to the grave with me. Remember when I shared that? And then I went to a meeting and I heard a man talk about how the next five years, because he took stuff to the grave with him, couldn't move on in the program, couldn't move on in the steps. Until he finally started working with another sponsor and it was all because he had took stuff to the grave. He, he didn't share everything. And I knew God had come there, sent that man there that night to speak to me. Because I'd already done 10 years of fooling around. And I went home, I put everything in there. Because I thought they were so terrible. I thought these things were so terrible that I couldn't be humble enough to share that with another human being. And my sponsor says to me, how long has human race been around? 
I said, a few million years. He says, yeah, so what makes you think you could have thought of anything or done anything that hasn't been thought of or done already? Who do you think you are? It's all been done. It's all been done. I did these things. You know how many fist steps I've listened to in 38 years? They're all pretty much the same. We all pretty much have the same defects. We're all pretty much egomaniacs with an inferiority complex. And we use a bunch of shortcomings in our lives trying to satisfy ourselves. And then I pick up Father John Doe, who doesn't even use his real name. Maybe he knows that anonymity is the spiritual foundation. That maybe that's what the 12th tradition is really all about. And I pick it up and he says, The purpose of life is to purify us, not to satisfy us. And I think, Jesus, that's what I have to do? I have to be purified and I think of fire, you know. I think of the steel stuck in the, and pounded on, you know, on the anvil. And I have to be purified. When all I thought I had to be was satisfied. I thought that that's what life was supposed to be about. It's supposed to be about me being satisfied. Not purified. That means I have to suffer. No, it doesn't mean I have to suffer. It means I'm going to have pain. The pain is inevitable. It's the suffering that's optional. I've never changed out of virtue. I'm not a virtuous man. I've only changed out of pain. It was a pain in my alcoholism that got me sober. Like they said, like Bill Wilson said, a man who once knew what he was talking about, the pain is the touchstone of all spiritual growth. Pain. It's inevitable. You want to change? I'm sorry. You want your character to change? You don't want to keep thinking the way you think, feeling the way you feel? Old Dennis used to say, you don't like the way that you feel, but you need to change the way that you think. Because your feelings are connected to your thinking that goes on in your head. And you know what? You can't think your way into good living. You have to live your way into good thinking. Move a muscle. Change a thought. And I'm going to do something for somebody. That's what Alcoholics Anonymous taught me. That's the secret of Alcoholics Anonymous. You going to do something for somebody? Dennis used to say, I'll tell you what. When we do something bad, we don't want anybody to know about it. But when we do something good, we want to tell the whole world about it. Well, why don't you try doing something good and not tell anybody about it? Why don't you try that? Maybe your character will start to change a little bit. We get to the 11th step. I got a lot to talk about with character. I just, uh, 
I think that uh, some of the books that are written on spirituality, especially written on the steps, the steps uh, is what everything has changed in my life because of these steps. I live these steps. I put these steps into application in my life for what they are. And I put them into my life on a daily basis because I'm constantly studying the steps and have an understanding of them. Father Rohr in his book, Breathing Underwater, Spirituality in the 12 Steps. He talks about so that so it is important that you ask, seek, and knock to keep yourself in right relationship with life itself. All God wants me to do is to ask. He doesn't expect me to be perfect. He expects me to fail. My failures, they glorify my God because he's God and I'm not. And he loves me unconditionally. And the harder time that I'm having in this life, the more love and grace he wants to shower on me. The bigger the need, the more that God's going to give me. He wants the same thing for all of us. To be happy, joyous, and free. That's his will. He doesn't want us to suffer and to live in pain. And so I have to find an attitude of gratitude. An old man once told me an alcoholic who has an attitude of gratitude will never drink. Never. And so every day I I need to, to look for this gratitude. It's this gratitude, you know, that helps to really change my character. To understand that everything's about God's love. What's Alcoholics Anonymous all about? Alcoholics Anonymous is all about people. What are people all about? People are all about God. What's God all about? God's all about love. Love's still the answer. God's love's always been the answer. I don't have anything to fear. I make a decision, turn my life and my will over to the care of God. I'm in the action business. I'm not in the outcome business. God's in the outcome business. All I need to do is to take this action. He says, in my radical experience, if you are not radically grateful every day, resentment takes over. For some reason, to ask for your your daily bread is to know that it is being given to you. To ask for it is to know that it's being given to you. In the Lord's Prayer, that daily bread is everything that we need. I've had everything that I have ever needed all these years, not what I wanted, and thank God I didn't get what I wanted because it would have been nothing compared to what I was given.
I love this and I'll end with this. He says, after, after a few years in recovery, you will know that your deep and insatiable desiring came from God all along. You went on a bit of a detour. You looked for love in all the wrong places and now have found what you really wanted anyway. God is willing to wait for that. Like Jacob at the foot of his dreamy ladder where angels walk between heaven and earth. You will lay your head on even a stone pillow and say, you were here all the time and I never knew it. This is nothing less than the house of God. This is the very gate of heaven. It's even better than that. The final discovery, as Thomas Burton put it, is that this gate of heaven is everywhere. Not all of our faults and ego possessions are just heavy and burdensome luggage that keep us from walking through this always open gate or even seeing it in the first place. Get rid of it. Let it go. It's keeping you down. God doesn't want you to be kept down. He loves you. He wants you to be free. God bless you, and thanks for letting me share tonight. All right, let's thank Tom again. And we're going to have Mark come up to the secretary's report. My name's Mark, and I'm a recovered alcoholic secretary. Keeping with the seven tradition, which states that every group shall be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. The baskets are now going to go around. While that's going on, I've asked Rick to come up here and read. Where's Rick? There's Rick. Hey, Rick. To read a recovered statement, we read this notice to explain why many people in this group identify as recovered rather than recovering. What exactly means to be an alcoholic? So I'll give you Rick. How you doing? My name is Rick, and I am a recovered alcoholic. Recovered, we are not cured of alcoholism. Recovered, but not cured. That presents a conflict for some alcoholics. If we were cured, we would be able to drink responsible. No, we are not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol will remain, will remain with us for a lifetime, but we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in his body. Page 23. We are now sane where alcohol is concerned. Consequently, we have recovered. Thank you. Nineteen forty style big book sponsorship from the forward of the second edition of Alcoholics Anonymous. Of alcoholics who came today and really tried, fifty percent of them got sober at once and remained that way. 25% sobered up after some relapses, and among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. What we've seen, felt, come to believe in, and experience is that God has not changed over time, and neither should the sacred approach back to his loving arms. The statistics above suggest a 75% success rate. 
Can I please see a show of hands of recovered alcoholics? Cool. More importantly, does anyone in the room need a sponsor? Is that one over there? Yeah. No. 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 No one seeking sponsorship tonight. <laughs> if you do, uh, and you don't want to disclose yourself here, um, get with someone after the meeting, and they'll get you back to God. Please join us Monday nights, Big Book Study Meeting, where the Big Book comes alive. It's a Joe and Charlie-style Big Book Study Meeting on the third floor of this building. We meet for fellowship every week, every Monday at 6.30. The study actually starts at 7.15. Cool. Please, please join us. Um, <laughs> also, if you, if you want, or if anyone's interested, we have CDs, mugs, large print Big Books, Little red books and big book dictionaries for sale on that piano over there. See a home group member if you're interested in any of that. Again, we meet here every Thursday, starting promptly at 7.15. We ask that you be courteous and ready to begin at the sound of bells. Tom will be back for session eight next week. I'll see you next week. Thank you. Awesome. Um... We have tonight's session on all past speaker podcasts online for free at alcoholicsandgod.org. I'd like to invite everyone to our Monday night big book study again. Um, those whom wish to thank Tom, uh, just line up down the center aisle. Um, also, if you uh, vape or smoke, uh, just make sure you go down there. The Boy Scouts are here tonight, so if you don't want them asking you for cigarettes, just head down that way. Um, we're going to go ahead and close with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father.
just can't get it right. It doesn't matter how hard I try, but with you, I become a much stronger man. Getting on my knees puts me back on my feet again. Getting on my knees puts me back on my feet again. Never Smiling 
Chase, here's that song you've been asking me for for a million years. I finally pulled it out the pulled it out the corners of my mind, and um, here you go. This broken man I travel far and 
Christmas songs And people sing along And stomp their feet and raise their arms And here in this moment that we share Nothing could come God bless. I love you, Mike Chase. Bye.
Yeah.